Good morning. Um, today's reading is from John 15, verses 9 through 17. It's on page 6 of your bulletin if you'd like to follow along. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, my father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Thank you, Yom Ki. How are we doing? It's a good morning, and uh, I don't know if that's a breeze I'm feeling or if it's the AC, but uh, it's a beautiful day. I hope you're enjoying it. I hope you're enjoying it. Let me say a word of prayer before we look at this passage. God, we are praying for your spirit because we know we're weak. We're weak to hear you rightly. We're weak to respond And to conform our lives to your words rightly, we need your help. And so we pray that you would remove all barriers, even little defenses in our hearts that make us want to protect the status quo, who we are today. Help us to trust that you have a glorious future in mind for us. You want to make us more like Jesus. What more can we want than that? And so we pray that you would do that. You would take us incrementally towards that glorious future, even through these words, even through this modest time. Do something great. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I begin this morning offering you some profound quotations. This is what a good preacher is supposed to do, right? Uh, Some profound sayings on the topic of Friendship. Friends are the bacon bits in the salad bowl of life. I don't even know what that means. But I know everything is better than with bacon. Uh, so that works for me. All right, second deep thought. A good friend will help you move, but a best friend will help you move a dead body. Uh, it, it's true. It's true, you know, been needing such a friend lately. Uh, Okay, last one. Um, I'm getting a little risque here. Uh, Friendship. Friendship is like peeing in your pants. Everyone can see it, but only you can feel the warm feeling inside. That's a Hallmark card waiting to be written. All of these, 
All of these quotations were anonymous. I think we can guess why. Some of you think I'm just saying that, and I wrote them. I did not. <laughs> Let's talk about friendship. Let's talk about friendship. We're in the middle of a, a little mini-series here. We're calling it Friendship in the Margins. And really, the desire here is not just to have another teaching series, for goodness sakes, but rather through it to grow. To grow as a church community that cares for physical needs of our neighbors as well as spiritual needs. A community that seeks justice for the poor, for the vulnerable. And of course, as we say that, the goal, and we've said this again and again and again, the goal is not just to serve our neighbors, dispensing resources, but rather to love our neighbors. Offering relationship. The idea is not just to commute out and to give back, but rather to draw in, to draw people in into an economically mixed and inclusive community. Where the focus is not needs, but neighbors' lives. Not service projects, but people. People. And we feel compelled to believe this and to live this out in community. In part because we see these commitments, these priorities reflected all throughout Scripture and even as we find it here in this passage. As Jesus gives us words, really, of a vision for relationships such that whatever we choose to call it, ministry of mercy, ministry of compassion, ministry of social justice, that we would understand that at the heart of it is the ministry of friendship. A call to move towards a relationship not between Benefactor and beneficiary, but between friends in community, walking side by side. Bob Lupton, in his wonderful book, Compassion, Justice, and the Christian Life, commenting actually on this passage, John 15, says this, Perhaps beyond the revolutionary Christian mandate of service is the final revolution, the possibility of being friends. Because it's right for us to think in terms of service and sacrifice when it comes to caring for the needs of neighbors who are most vulnerable among us. And don't think that Jesus is putting service in the back seat or lowering it in its priority. This passage, these words were uttered the night before Jesus was executed. This is moments after he had just finished washing his disciples' feet, taking the posture of a slave and saying, this is what I am doing for you on the cross and you too do likewise. He's calling us to serve and yet here he is saying, even beyond service perhaps is a final revolution that those whom we serve might actually become our friends. 
So a question for us to ponder over the next few minutes. How would our relationships with neighbors, especially the least of these, how would our neighborhood ministries be different if our conscious goal was that of making friends across economic lines? If our ministry emphasis was on the cultivation of friendship rather than simply opportunities for service. Look at this just in two sections. First, the foundation for friendship across economic lines. And secondly, the characteristics of friendship across economic lines. And then we'll take questions as we always do to digest in Q&A. First, the foundation and secondly, characteristics of friendship across economic lines. Foundations. It all starts here and Jesus is very clear. It all starts here. Our personal experience the love of God. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Which would take a whole day, if not an eternity, to un- unpack the implications and the profundity of that. That if you are in Christ, if you have embraced him as Savior, if you are in covenant with God through the gospel, that you, brother or sister, are today loved by God with the same eternal, infinite, self-giving, other-honoring love, loyalty, an affection that is shared between God the Father and God the Son and has been for all of eternity. That is what is true of you. Hallelujah. In other words, salvation is getting sandwiched in the middle of the Trinity's eternal group hug. That's what salvation is in the Bible. And when Jesus describes and expands upon this love, he puts it this way. What is this love like? It's this. The God of the Christian Bible is a God who offers us his friendship. After all, in the Old Testament, Abraham the spiritual father of all those who have a relationship with God by faith rather than by moral performance, Abraham was called a friend of God. We're told that Moses, the mediator of God's covenant, uh, God's unique relationship with his people, Moses would speak to God face to face, we were told, as as a man would talk with a friend. Jesus himself was... Described as a friend of tax collectors and so-called sinners. People on the margins of society. Because of the shocking way in which he would welcome people. Not at a distance, but deep into his life. He actually enjoyed their company. Uh, Jesus ate with people. He laughed with people. 
He, he listens to them. He asks their opinion. He respects them, even respecting them enough to tell them the truth when they needed to hear it, to challenge them, to call them to change, to call them to receive him as Savior. And here in John 15, Jesus, in the Last Supper with his disciples, before his execution, he says this, verse 15, I no longer call you servants, because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You now know the Father's heart. I've let you in. You're now in God's inner circle. You've got the inside scoop. You're, you're a confidant. You're a friend. And the ultimate expression of this divine friendship, Jesus points out, is his death on the cross. Because, you know, we, we by nature are hostile towards God. We daily treat him not like a friend, but like an enemy. An enemy of our freedom. An enemy of our happiness, that God. And we've earned the same treatment back from him, haven't we? The wrath of an enemy. But here's the good news, and we find it here in verse 13. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. Clearly, Jesus there pointing to himself as the ultimate example of this self-sacrificing, dying love for a friend. Because Jesus took the wrath that we deserve for our sins so that we former enemies of God's can now become his friends. It's a stunning thing. I mean, we just sang this song a couple minutes ago, repeating that line again and again. I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. Have you sung that deep into your heart and out of your heart to the point where it moves you to tears? If it's true for you, I am a friend of God. Yes, he's our creator and he is our judge. The Bible calls him sovereign Lord and King. He's omnipotent, all-powerful. He's omniscient, all-knowing, eternal, and infinite. And this God then looks at you, at me, in all our inglorious brokenness and sin and hostility and disloyalty and selfishness. And he says, I have called you friend. Amen? It's good news. It's good news. If you're in Jesus, you're a friend of God. Ponder that this week. Do you know God in this way? Do you know that this is what he offers you as he offers you life? And if you do know him in this way and you're coming to know him in this way, do you understand that then it starts to change the way you love other people? Where you start to hear these words in verse 13, again, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. And you know that Jesus is not just describing himself only, but also us. What our love for one another ought to look like. Being sacrificial friends to those around 
us, especially friends to those in the margins. I was reading this wonderful book called Friendship in the Margins. Obviously, the series title is ripped from that wonderful title of a book written by Chris Hewerts, who is uh, the international director of Word Made Flesh, which is a wonderful Christian organization working in some of the poorest of the poor communities all around the world, together with Christine Pohl, who is a seminary professor at uh, Asbury Theological Seminary in Kentucky. And as they just share these different stories of what it's looked like for them, especially Chris in India, to build relationships, authentic, reciprocal friendships with the poorest of the poor. So many helpful lessons and stories drawn out of that. And this is one thing that they said, I thought, so helpfully. Friends of God love what and whom God loves. The scriptures make clear that God's love is abundant and available for each of us but also that in a particular and protective way that God loves those who are most vulnerable, widows, orphan children, strangers, and those pushed to the margins of a community. So, a grateful response to God's gift of friendship involves offering that same gift to others. Jesus made you, if you're in him, by faith, recipients of the gift of friendship. Out of the supernatural strength of that relationship, and it does start there, your experience of God's friendship to you. Out of the supernatural strength of that relationship, he calls us to give the same gift to others. But what does that look like, especially as we labor to foster cross-economic friendships? What does that look like here? Characteristics of friendship across economic lines, a couple things that we find in this passage. Many more things than what we're going to point out that are actually in this passage, but for the sake of time, we'll point out four. We'll point out four. Number one, a friend lets others in. A friend lets others in. You notice Jesus compares a servant with a friend. Right? A servant doesn't know his master's business, he points out. He's just told what to do. No access to the thoughts or desires or plans of his master. A friend, however, brings you into private places of his life. Lets you see who you are behind closed doors. Lets you hear him or her think out loud. Tell you about the plans. A friend is someone in the know. Someone brought into the inner circle of a person's life. A friend is someone you invite to your birthday party. A friend is someone you've got on your speed dial. What does it look like to have friendships like this across economic lines? Rich with poor and poor with rich and middle class and working class and people of a variety of backgrounds. A friend is someone you'd call up when you end up in the ER or in jail. No, a friend is someone that you call just to call. Because you want to hear their voice. 
If you have children, a friend is someone who your children know by name and share some of their most formative, fondest moments with. Loved the picture yesterday of having a chance to go out with some of our adult leaders together with some of the neighborhood kids out to Bruce Monroe Park yesterday and just running around having a picnic, playing. But most of all, to watch my daughter Elena run around most of the time with Devea, who was such a big sister to her, a friend to her, taking Elena all around, had one panic moment where I couldn't find either of them, had no idea where they were until I noticed they were off in the corner looking for birds. Of course, they were running around, falling down a couple times. Notice a big hunk of bread in Elena's hands because she was feeding the bread to the birds. And I think there was a part of me, of course, that wouldn't have minded and would have even enjoyed having that first moment of introducing my daughter to the idea of feeding birds in the wild, giving them bread and watching them pick up the food and fly away. That would have been a joy. But it was indeed an even greater joy to know that she got to share that moment her first bird breadcrumb feeding moment together with Devea. And for that young lady who's caring so well for my family, Devea, to have the privilege, and she doesn't even realize it, the privilege of sort of drawing my daughter through these rites of passage growing up to do it together, to do it as friends. A friend lets others in. So you're not just serving and you're not just exchanging resources from a distance, but you're actually bringing life on life in each other's living rooms, in each other's hearts. And so if you're someone here today who has a lot of resources that you genuinely want to bless neighbors with, neighbors who are struggling with physical needs, what might it look like for you not just to serve your neighbor with those resources, but to let them in your life? And we flip it around too. If you're someone here today needing help, maybe possibly desperate help, We want to provide that help for you. We don't want to over-spiritualize even this concept of friendship. You have real needs. We all do. But as those needs are being met, those physical, practical, material needs, what might it look like for you too to hunger for friendship and connection? For you too to let someone in the community into Your life. You see, well, you say, well, well, how do you do that? What do you do? Well, here's one place to start meals, eating together. Jesus pointed us to that. Luke 14, he tells a story. He was invited to a meal, a banquet, really, surrounded by people of great affluence and influence and power. And he looks around and he notices it's only one kind of a crowd. And he says, look, what you really need to do to reflect the true banquet, the true dinner, the true meal, the true party of the kingdom of God is to bring in the poor, the cripple, the lame, the blind, to eat with 
them to eat with us, to eat together, and you will be blessed. The result, of course, is that we let people in and we get to know real people. Where by God's grace, we no longer reduce, quote unquote, the poor to simply objects of charity or the, quote unquote, rich to sources of charity. But now you are my friend. You are my brother, my sister. And we relate to one another, not simply to get or not simply to give but to be and to love. Number two, a friend risks getting hurt. A friend lets others in. A friend friend risks getting hurt because building a trusting relationship does take time and it does take heartache. Verse 13, one more time, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. Don't miss it. Jesus is saying this the night before he was tortured and killed for the salvation of his friends. And he calls us to become like him, making ourselves vulnerable, uh, refusing to protect ourselves at all costs from the risk and harm that is a necessary part of genuine friendship. Have you ever had a close friend that hasn't hurt you? The ministry of friendship across economic lines is no different. Chris Hewitts in this book, again, tells this story of just how they are, as a community, trying to work this out, trying to figure out what retooling their whole conception of ministry and service in terms of friendship does to how they relate to one another. Some of it meant caring for girls in India where they lived who had escaped the commercial sex industry, girls who had... Uh, suffered for many years from sexual abuse and physical trauma and who were therefore recovering, having them in their homes, having them in their lives, having them near, so near that they could in fact be betrayed. A brief story that they told of one woman, Maya, who was employed by them, cared for by them, given a safe place to live, rescued, you could even say, from her prior circumstances and spun around one day and stole their stuff, left their cupboards barren, took their clothes, kitchen utensils, and cash, and was never seen from again. Friendship means taking the risk of being taken advantage of. It does. It means the risk of disappointment from time to time as you're trying to build a relationship with someone quite different from you. Whether if it's someone that has a lot less stuff than you do or someone that has a whole lot more than you do. You see, because if you make it your goal not to be disappointed or not to be taken as a fool, you will not be a friend. Or maybe you struggle to trust Maybe a lot of people with money and power have made a lot of promises to you in the past and haven't come through. Maybe you don't want to let people in and maybe you don't want to get hurt again. Dear friends, can this be a community where we, by the grace of our trustworthy and loyal friend Jesus, 
can come together in even risky forms of friendship to the glory of our true friend who day by day can be made more fully manifest in us as we become more like him. Number three, a friend is a peer. A friend is a peer. Verse 15, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. To look at this verse again. In other words, a friend is someone with whom you share power. You share knowledge. You share opportunity. It's not just one person all in the know and one person with all the resources and one person with all the ability to give and the other only doing all the receiving. If you're friends, one is never the superior and the other the inferior, right? Isn't that friendship side by side and face to face and arm in arm? If you're friends, you know both of you have needs, even if they're different kinds of of needs. Friendship invites a, a mutual exchange of gifts between peers. Because if it's ever just a one way street in giving and receiving, in any kind of friendship, we would say it's not the real thing. Again, author and activist Bob Lupton puts it helpfully here there's something in one way giving that erodes human dignity. This kind of compassion subtly communicates to the recipient, you have nothing of value that I desire in return. One-way mercy ministry, as kind-hearted as the giver may be and as well-intentioned, is an unmistakable form of put-down. Lupton continues, perhaps the deepest poverty of all is to have nothing of value to offer in exchange. We know that reciprocity builds mutual respect while one-way giving bruises contempt. And yet, we continue to run clothes closets and free food pantries and give away benevolent accounts and wonder why the joy is missing. Our donated clothes could create thrift stores and job training. Our benevolence dollars could develop many economies within the economy, daycare, janitorial, fix-the-windows, roof services, that would employ the job less in esteem-building work. He finishes saying, Your work is your calling, declared the reformer Martin Luther. Does not the role of the church in our day include the enabling of the poor to find their calling too? Friendship says, If you are always a receiver... Let's learn together how also to be a giver. Friendship says, if you are always a giver, learn also to be a receiver. One of the best experiences I had, one of the most blessed experiences I had of this was relationship with dear David Gatling. When we were a part of Grace Downtown and downtown D.C. here, Uh, we first met him, of course, when he was homeless, living on the front steps of the church, and slowly building a relationship with him, and trying to work through the, just the struggles of suspicion and trust, and learning 
about each other's stories and growing as friends. Certainly not only myself, but many others, Andrew being one of them. And the blessing that it was, right around in the process when we, Paula and I, were struggling with and praying through whether or not we should be a part of the startup of this new congregation, to leave our downtown community and to venture out to start a church plant here in these neighborhoods. Having a little heart-to-heart with David, who, in his uh, very characteristic boldness, sort of a prophetic way of speaking into your life, looks up at me, having no idea that these prayers and these ponderings were going on behind the scenes. He says, I just feel it. You're going to have your own house one day. And of course, he means a house of worship. And in his tradition, he means me being a lead pastor in some community. And of course, we talked about it some there with him with tears in his eyes and me with tears in my eyes. Him not knowing at that time how much encouragement he was giving to a young discouraged pastor who just wasn't sure what to do. Full of fear and questions and uncertainties about the future. And for him to be a friend, for him to be a peer, for him to speak with power into my life in some small but real way, give me confidence that I needed In fact, to be here before you today, I thank God for David's friendship to me. And I don't know here today if you're homeless or if you're struggling in a different way today. But God might be calling you to be a David Gatling in this community. To lift up and encourage a discouraged young person to today. And who knows, who knows, that person, that person that needs you might just be me all over again. A friend lets others in. A friend risks getting hurt. A friend is a peer. And lastly, a friend initiates. I'll keep this short. You know, so often these days, I think it's typical of our society now, but we have this picture of friendship as something that just happens automatically. As if the truest friendships are the ones that you don't have to work at. I'm not sure that's true. Jesus reminds us of the sort of intentionality and commitment that's required of genuine friendship. He says it in verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you. It sounds like the saying that you might have heard, friends are the family you chose. Friendship across economic lines, friends, does require sacrificial initiative and intentionality. It means going out of your way to build relationship with someone that might be different from you. Someone that might have more, someone that might have less. Someone that you might take the risk of letting in. Someone that you want to start calling a peer. It takes work though. It means retooling your schedule. It means retooling your choices. Where you eat where you spend your time and what you do for leisure. It does mean sometimes it building in intentionality to where you live so that you might be able to build friendships like this. It means having intentional conversations at times, conversations that might not be easy, that might go to hard places, 
speaking truth, conversations about reconciliation, again, across socioeconomic lines, repenting, perhaps, of bigotry against the poor or against the rich, repenting of classism, forgiving, nodding, understanding, weeping, asking questions, listening. But a friend initiates because it doesn't just happen just like the cross didn't just happen. You did not choose me, but I chose you, Jesus. Do you choose today to be a friend? And will you make choices to be friends across lines in this neighborhood that too often divide us? Andrea Baker writes about her commitment to this vision for friendship in the margins in Bolivia. Helpful words that I just want to read to you. She writes, I met Veronica on Calle Carrasco, the booming red-like district in El Alto, Bolivia. Like so many women who prostitute, her story is one of abuse, betrayal, fear, and survival, but Veronica has finally escaped. Over the years, she has changed from a quiet, hardened, self-protecting woman to a protective, faithful, and caring friend. She's the jokester of our community, a hard worker who now knows and worships Jesus. She makes all of us laugh. She fills our drop-in center with wisdom, strength, and beauty, flowers and plants in every corner imaginable. The four years that I've known Veronica... It's been become one, she's become one of my most treasured friends. We share a love of gardening and worship. We're both feisty, sensitive, and as hard on each other as we are on ourselves. Our arguments are often quite heated and then quickly resolved, usually ending in both of us needing to ask for and extend forgiveness. She was with me the day my infant son had his first of many terrifying seizures. She screamed in desperation for me as I struggled to resuscitate him. She lamented with me as we watched his tiny body poked, prodded, and covered with wires in the hospital. And now we both celebrate his life. I love that the Lord knows and loves his godmother. Oh, I know, I love that Lois. I think it's her son's name, knows and loves his godmother. I love that she, in her own journey to healing, has allowed her heart to love a child, my child, without restraint. Veronica's stories keep our community grounded. She reminds us that our work is not a lost cause, not so much because she's a quote-unquote success story, but because she tells us again and again how much it meant to her that we kept returning to the streets to visit her week after week. Friendship with Veronica keeps me hopeful. Last night I wept when I read those words again because it's so moving and because it's so hard. Because becoming a community with more stories of friendship like the one that Andrea and Veronica share, it requires supernatural power, doesn't it? It requires knowing, no more than that, it requires breathing the promise that God through Jesus has indeed made you his friend. 
to hear every day and deepen our hearts and from our hearts all the way through our bodies out to our fingertips as we touch one another in love. Love each other as I have loved you. Befriend each other as I have been a friend to you. Let's pray. And even in this passage, Lord, you promise us that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you, give us. And so we ask in your name, Lord Jesus, show us how to be friends. In the name of our friend and Savior, Jesus, amen. And let's stand together and let's sing about the friendship of Christ.